0: Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today I have with me in the studio the owner of Legacy Properties Sotheby International here in Maine. Chris Lynch, nice to have you in today.
1: Thank you for the invite.
0: Well, I should introduce you actually as also our friend, our friend Chris Lynch, because you actually are a dear friend of um, my husband and well over a decade. Yeah. Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of intersections over time, not just because of the work that you do, but also the intersections amongst the business and kind of local connections. And, and you went to Bates. I did. I went to Bowdoin, of course, you know that. <laughs> I so do. There, there's always That's that fine. ongoing. It, it At is fun. You should go to Colby. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we we like Colby. There's nothing wrong with Colby, but there is a traditional yeah. sort of three college rivalry amongst the the liberal right. arts schools here in Maine.
1: I'm just teasing about Colby. Yes, too. <laughs> yes. no, we understand.
0: Although back yeah. in the day when when I went to Bowdoin, I mean, it was it was a rough rivalry. Yeah, it was. I yeah. mean, yeah. we I don't know if I yeah. would have been able to talk to you no. back then. So um, no. hopefully, it's changed somewhat. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. But there's lots of interesting things going on in Maine with regard to real estate. Sure are. Yeah. And you've been doing this long enough, so you've kind of seen ups and downs and backs and forths. Tell me about the state of where we are.
1: Well, 17 years since I started the company, and uh, we've grown quite a bit. So now we're over 100 people you know, statewide and, and really cover a broad swath. So we see it's, the interesting thing about Maine is every market's kind of a microcosm. You know, each town has a different vibe, has a different uh, depth, has a different inspiration for people. And so it's super hard to talk about Maine as one market. You know, we tended to carve out coastal communities kind of from Kittery all the way up through the other side of Bar Harbor. Uh, and and even as you go through the coastal communities, you know, Camden's very different than Kennebunk, Kennebunkport. And Bristol is very different than Harpswell. And Northeast Harbor is very different than, you know, all the other places in Maine, to be honest. It's a really cool little spot, and we just opened an office there about 18 months ago. Yeah, so you kind of have to pick your spots. And even if you look at counties, all the counties are so different. Um, we're breaking, well, funny enough, we're breaking out an index right now where we're trying to create our own statistical index that, that, that helps report on both microcosms and kind of macro trends in different counties, also different types of, of cities and towns. And it's, it's hard to do, but it, we're getting through it, and it's giving us a better picture as to what's going on with what we like to look at. You know, so now we're going back into the lakes, into the Belgrade Lake, Sebago Lake, Long Lake, Panther Pond, uh, Little Sebago. And, and those are each their own microcosms. Uh, so it's, it's been fun, challenging, fun.
0: So what are some surprises from kind of doing this, this work, looking at the data?
1: Well, the biggest surprise is how hot Maine has become, you know, and, and not just coastal Maine and not just Portland. I mean, Portland's been hot for a decade, really, maybe 20 years very different than when you were at Bowdoin or I was at Bates. You know, it's really, it's come such a long way and everybody wants to come to Portland and they get here and they learn more about Maine. So last year, I want to say twenty two, twenty three dollars dollars of every high value property spent on a Maine property was coming from Massachusetts. And so I think the biggest change has been people from away, you know, finding the value that we who've lived here for a long time, it's been 22 years for me, you know, saw a long time ago. Uh, and, and really, people didn't appreciate how much there is here and now have the opportunity, particularly with remote working, you know, to be able to to come here and live here and enjoy life here. Big change, though, last two years in particular.
0: And I know that there's definitely been a, a COVID impact. And you might anticipate that as COVID starts to, I'm knocking on wood sort of, <laughs> as I'm saying this, um, hopefully starts to recede. The public health emergency is is being officially lifted, so I think I'm safe in saying that we are that this pandemic is uh, receding. People are still coming to Maine.
1: They are. So what happened was their friends came during COVID, and then they came to visit or called them or sent an email or a text saying, "Hey, you should check this out." And so there's there's an effect in place that is just it's going to be here for a long time. It's going to be here for a long time.
0: Why Northeast Harbor?
1: Northeast Harbor is one of the most um, highly valued markets in the state of Maine. It's a perfect fit for us. And, and from Northeast Harbor, we do all of MDI and we do north, um, uh, north and east and a little bit west out towards Bangor and, and a little bit south, you know, down towards Castine and, and, and some just really beautiful towns uh, that are out that way. It's, a, it's, well, it's three hours from here. Um, it's a great footprint for that whole Hancock County, even into Washington County for us.
0: How much work are you doing in Washington County at this point?
1: Very little. Yeah, it's just a little too far. We do a little bit you know funny enough, we've taken three or four listings in Eastport, which is um, about as far on the coast as it gets in Maine, as you know. Uh, so it's the first sun, first city to see the sun yeah. in, in North America. Uh, so it's been it's been fun.
0: Yeah, but that's is even the fact that you have those listings. I think is very interesting to me because Esport is far. It is far. I mean, it is not easy to get to at all.
1: <laughs> no. So no, it's far, but it's beautiful, and it's really it's also a place that's been discovered um, in, in a smaller way. It's still a fishing village, um, but it's pretty special. Really beautiful, very authentic, you know, real Maine.
0: So one of the things that, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about because I come from healthcare, obviously, is Um, Do we have currently the infrastructure to support people who are coming from outside of the state? And um, I don't know if you have opinions on this or not. I mean, I think people look for, depending upon how old they are and where they are in their lives, they look for healthcare, education, you know, access to venues, entertainment, hospitality, food. So are you seeing things start to shift as a result of people coming in from other places? So not
1: yet, but I think you're on to something. You know, I think Maine had a lot of infrastructure for how few people were here, right? So you could argue for many, many years we had more schools than we really needed. Now they're filling up. You know, we had more hospital beds than we really needed. Now they're more closer to capacity. Um, we kind of had I called it the Noah's Ark of of life. There was two of everything, right? And we really only needed one and a half. Uh, and and now we're at the point where I think we we have two two of everything, and they're largely filling up. Yeah. So, but we're we're close. I mean, if you think about it, there's really only one major highway in the whole state. And then there's, you know, 295, which runs nearby, but, you know, not really a major highway. It's probably 35 miles long, something like that. Uh, You know, we could probably, there's infrastructure's light here.
0: So it'll be interesting to see how we handle that because I know, you know, again, going back to the healthcare example, so... We're trying to bring in doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants to the part of Maine that I work with, which is sort of Augusta-Waterville area, Mm -hmm. and they will come visit us and they'll say, oh, it's a lovely spot. We love your hospital. We can't find any place to live. So there's no place for them to live, but then we have other people who are able to kind of have reemerged or looking for health care, so we're now at a place where we we need more doctors, we need more nurse practitioners, (coughs) nurses, medical assistants, all of the people We don't have any place to put them if we bring them from somewhere else. And there really just aren't enough of the people who are homegrown quite yet to take care of the population that's coming in.
1: There's not nearly enough new building going on
0: here. Yeah.
1: And no one's leaving. Right. Right. So we have no one leaving, a lot of people coming, wanting to come. And so it's really put some pressure on, on, well, that's why housing prices have gone up so much. And they're going to have a really hard time going down. That's probably the question I get the most is, are prices going down? And it's just hard for them to go down. There's still five, six, seven buyers for every you know, good property. We talk about the three-legged stool, good home, good location, good price. And there's lots and lots of buyers at every price point. Pretty much all over the state for a property that has those three legs of the stool. Yeah.
0: So you came in As somebody from finance, when you started, that was that was your field originally, and it was a bit of a risk for you when you moved to Maine, started this business.
1: I had I I didn't realize how big a risk it was at the time.
0: Tell me about that. It's a big risk.
1: You know, I gave up everything. I gave up my job. I gave up my house and packed up the family. We moved to Maine and and just started prospecting for a new life and a new job and a new, you know, uh, uh, just a a, a whole new idea of what the next twenty years. Which we've just completed now twenty two years here. We're going to be like, um, but I didn't. I didn't factor. I was thirty nine years old. It just didn't seem like a big risk at the time. So we 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 did it. And never looked back. Not once.
0: And you, if I'm calculating back correctly, it seems like you had to weather the two thousand seven two thousand eight storm.
1: Yes. That was a big storm. So I started the company in 2006, um, grew very quickly, opened four offices, got to 45, 50 agents by the end of 2007. And then business just stopped. You know, not only was there a a housing crisis, but there was sort of a liquidity meltdown globally, which was impossible to do real estate in any meaningful way. And it was a disaster. It was really awful. You know, I never doubted what I was doing was going to work, but everybody else did especially my wife and kids. Yeah, friends. I still run into people around Portland saying, I can't believe you made it. (laughs) I never thought that was going to succeed. Yeah, someone very recently, funny enough. Yeah.
0: So how do you respond to that? I mean, how do you, so if your wife, I mean, God bless Laura for kind of being there and sticking it out and that's it. But when you're the person and you've assumed the risk and you're in your early 40s, and people are saying, "Oh, this isn't going to work. It's not working for any of the rest of us." How do you respond to that? And how do you and for young kids and for young kids? Yeah, I didn't want to keep going and piling it on. Except, I guess, in retrospect, yeah. you've been successful. Yeah. But at the time, as you're going through it, what are the sort of internal resources, or what do you have to tell yourself?
1: The reason I started the company was I thought there was a need. I mean, I thought I thought that the the Maine, coastal Maine uh, real estate in Maine, the Maine lifestyle, was underappreciated. I thought it was undermarketed. I thought it was undervalued. Um, I thought there was a a, a room for a a better presentation, for more investment, more infrastructure. Um, It it just seemed to me it was a, 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 and again, at the time, it seems like I was the only one seeing that crazy enough to do it, but that that there was a real opportunity to do more with what we had here. It just looked like, you know, it had to be, and and, and for a while, I couldn't prove that I was right. It took a long time, you know, but I really believed in it. I just thought we kept doing the right thing, even though in two thousand eight and nine and ten were really tough, I just kept investing, kept growing.
0: When you say you kept investing, you're in, you're reinvesting the resources not only from your organization but also from I'm guessing personally.
1: Well, there were no resources from the organization.
0: Oh, so I guess you just kept personally Putting your kids, own yeah, money yeah, into It was there. my kid's
1: college fund. Yeah, which has since been replenished, and three of them are out. Yeah, but but it for a while, yeah, it was basically that was our savings, right? We were saving for our kids' college. And uh, I said, you know, this is you know, but time to do something. Time to do something different. Do something new. It was an idea that made sense to me. Uh, it was the stick to itiveness that really made the difference.
0: So where does that come from in you?
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But it can be a problem sometimes. Yeah, I hate to give up. I hate to lose. Hate to yeah, lose.
0: I hate to lose. Yeah. yeah. So you, so there's something about the challenge of it, and maybe even people saying, "Oh, we don't think this is going to work. We don't think this is a good idea."
1: And I would say, and again, I heard that a lot. And I would say, you might be right. Call I, me back in a year. We'll, right. know, we'll know better by then. That's right. Yeah. But I was really convinced, and, and maybe delusionally so, I was convinced. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's it's interesting, too, because, again, you come from finance. You're a numbers guy. So you, you need numbers to be able to say, typically, to say, this is going to succeed. And yet, here you are saying, you didn't really have any information that suggested that you actually would succeed?
1: No, I had a plan. And the plan was, you know, first year grow, which I did. And and I knew we wouldn't make money. Growth is expensive. And then the second year to grow. And I knew I'd lose money because growth is even more expensive than the second year. There wasn't a first year. And then the third year I would be breaking even. And what I didn't predict was a three-year global financial meltdown. And that changed it quite a bit. And I've been through, again, I worked in the bond business, so I've been through cycles. I've been through interest rates going up, interest rates going down, making money, losing money. Uh, and I know cycles, you know, are cycles that they usually don't last forever. That was a prolonged and very deep cycle. It was really unpleasant. It really was. <laughs> I'd be kidding if I didn't tell you otherwise. Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, and then 2011, all of a sudden, you know, everything, I felt like everything we had done it just, came in, it just came to life. It was July 4th weekend, 2011. Yeah, and it just, all of a sudden, our signs popped up everywhere we've been prospecting, and our agent base was growing, and our customer base was growing, and we're getting repeat business from four years ago. And it's just all those little things just, it takes a while. And that was the other thing. I think I was maybe a little naive as to how long it takes to start a new brand, grow a new company, and get that acceptance in the marketplace. It seemed so obvious to me. I thought it would take six months you know, but it didn't, it, that, that was going to take three years without the meltdown. It took six instead.
0: So that's, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is when to give up versus when to say, okay, I'm going to hang in there. And and you obviously chose to hang in there. Other people don't, but you never know what that point is.
1: No, no. I mean, there is a break point and uh, I, fortunately I never, never got close You know, it really, my resolve was there the whole time. It just, and again, it was hard. It was hard, but my resolve was there. I knew, I just knew that if we kept doing it, if you do the right thing long enough, I mean, cliche, but it does, it comes back. And we just kept doing the right thing.
0: I know in my family and raising my kids, I have my older ones who kind of saw me go through rough times and my youngest one has seen relatively nice times, yeah. you know, as a result. And you have a span of four kids. Four kids. So, eight years. Yeah. I mean, have you ever kind of explored with them like their experience of going through like rough times versus now and kind of, or do you feel like everybody's kind of like, no, I'm good. We're fine.
1: So fortunate, uh, all four of my kids to a pretty high degree take after my wife. And so they're just super nice kids. They communicate with each other. They communicate with us all the time. Um, I would say my two daughters talk to me at least every day, sometimes more than that. Uh, my oldest son moved back to Maine f- four years ago and just started his fifth year with my company. And was just promoted to chief financial officer. And he's got a great life here in Maine. He loves his, his life here. He loves his job. He loves the company. He loves his dad, loves his mom, his brothers, sisters. Um, and, and, you know, as, as the, as they've grown, they've gotten even more close to each other and, and to us, which is interesting.
0: So they, so you don't, you're not hearing from them that they felt this kind of struggle that you were going through professionally.
1: I don't think so. You know, I mean, probably at some level they could all accept our little one, you know, all, all tell a story that, you know, I can remember when you came home, it didn't look good, <laughs> but they've never, you know, they've never verbalized that to me. And I didn't, you know, I, I tried not to bring work home with me. You know, I really didn't. When we got home, we all sat down to dinner every night. We all had lots of things to talk about. We had school. We had kids' sports. We had, you know, what we are going to do next as a family. And so we never really had to get into, boy, this is tough. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So not only did you kind of have to stick to it despite everybody else's um, concerns on your behalf, but also you were showing up and putting the best face forward for your family so that showed some pretty significant, I would think, uh, inner fortitude and a, an ability to frame things in a very...
1: Don't they call that compartmentalism? Maybe that's what, what it is. Compartmentalizing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose you could take it also as a negative, right? But
0: But yeah. I was just thinking, you know, the ability to... I mean, you clearly had to frame it in such a way that you could actually yourself continue to exist and move yeah. forward and also make it possible for your children not to be impacted. And maybe it's compartmentalizing, but I just think of it as just a really strong framing. Like yeah. your worldview is very specific and this is the one you're gonna go with and we're gonna go in this
1: direction together. Well, my where I'd come from, obviously working on Wall Street was super hard. It was really rough and tumble. Every day you could go in and lose your job, you know, and it was, there wasn't any margin for error. Um, and, and so that was really stressful. And that was really hard. And, and part of the reason we moved to Maine was that was my kids never saw me. I left the house at 5 and 5.30 in the morning. On a good day, got home at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, on the weekends, Saturday, I usually napped half the day to catch up. And Sunday morning, I went back into work for a couple hours. So, it was a, it, And that was a lifestyle that was fantastic when I was 25 to 35. 36 started to get a little tiresome, 37. And then a month after my 38th birthday, I said, let's do something different. And this is what different was and what different brought to us. So even in the toughest days in real estate, it was still not it was a little bit easier than my easiest day on Wall Street in fairness. Yeah, it was really tough. And so I had that you know background. I had that in me. and I was so happy to be where where I was and doing what I was doing, even if it wasn't working at the time. yeah that, that, that's what got me through
0: i'm I'm interested in your experiences in leadership because if what you're describing is going from, kind of a much smaller or manageable organization to now 100 people. I mean, that's like, and is this 100 agents that are working? 100 here? agents, so and about,
1: about 12 employees.
0: Okay, so that's, that's a lot. I mean, you're talking managing a very large group of individuals, and I'm sure that you're not day-to-day managing every single one of these people yourself, but it still requires leadership skills that um, I think are more highly developed than perhaps people understand.
1: Leadership's an interesting thing. Yeah. And I, I went from 400 people under me, but I had department heads on Wall Street to zero and now up to 100. And, and most of the 100, I, I have a chief operating officer, I have a chief financial officer, and I have a broker services or brokerage uh, manager. Um, and that's our infrastructure. I don't have in five of my six offices, I don't have in-office management. Uh, I manage those offices along with my team. Real estate agents, by and large, are independent contractors. They like to do their own thing. They work for themselves. They're focused on themselves. And we try to let them do what they need to do and not burden them with you know, responsibilities, management responsibilities, and, and trying to you know, get people around them to, to focus on their priorities. Uh, and so we do that at, at the corporate level. And that's been a huge difference between us and other real estate companies. Uh, Most of them have in-office managers, in-office management, oftentimes they are or were top producing agents, and they just ran out of things to give them. And so they said, we'll put you in charge. Uh, And and management is different. I mean, management is, you you have to put your people's needs and and their desires and their goals ahead of yours, right? So I have a list of things every day that I need to do. Very few of them ever get done. If someone has a problem, I say, you know, my agenda comes second. And I think that's the most important part of management.
0: I'm also interested in the fact that, I mean, you're describing people who work independently, which is excellent and wonderful. And I love working with high-performing people, and I do, because I I work with doctors and nurse practitioners and other people who are very high-performing, very intelligent, very motivated. And also, there's still a need to maintain a culture. There's, in your case, the need to maintain a brand so you're, you're kind of doing bo- uh, uh, parallel processes there.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's something we talk about a lot. And, and, and we review every year, funny enough, this time of year, you know, kind of mid-December really to mid-January is our let's look back, let's look forward. Right? And what we realized is we're very, very particular about who we bring on. Even though they're independent contractors, there's a lot of business models out there. It's just if you get a license, and, you know, certain real estate companies would hire you whether you have any potential or talent or not, and you either sink or swim. Um, we only hire swimmers. Uh, most of them have to have swam before. Uh, and, and, and we have high-functioning people who, you know, what makes us different is all of our agents, without exception, are pulling the rope in the same direction. You know, we don't have big teams uh, that, that will kind of disrupt the, the culture and the organization. We really work super hard uh, to make sure the individual gets seen, the individual is recognized, the individual is, is, uh, is assisted every way that they need to be to be as successful as they want to be. But we're people first and real estate agents second. And, and while that may seem subtle, it's not. If we have really, really good people, and you put good people a good brand, with pretty good management, and and a good company, it just works. It really works.
0: Well, having worked with several of your agents and also personally familiar with your agents, I mean, it, that definitely comes through that the importance of relationships and the importance of sort of really being um, known as an individual versus just a client. You know, from at least from my vantage point. Mm-hmm which is really important, really powerful. I don't
1: go to a lot of real estate events. I go to some. But the ones I do, you know, Greater Portland Board of Realtors, I main association of realtor events, they're, they're, they're great. But what I love most about them when I go, I talk to agents from other companies and they all consistently say, you know, I love working with your agents. And to me, that's 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 the biggest compliment I can get at an event like that. You know, really, really proud of everybody that I work with.
0: So do you ever think about, if you've been doing this for this company for 17 years, and you've now expanded across the state. Do you ever think about the number of places that you drive by that you're like, oh, we touched that place and that place and that place and that place?
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll, I'll turn a corner somewhere in the middle of nowhere, man. There's our sign <laughs> right there. Yeah. Yeah. So we've really, we did, I mean, I think we we're in 12 counties and 87 towns, you know, last year in terms of where we did business, where we transacted business. And so it's a really, it's, it's, um, it's pretty neat. Uh, Most of them are beautiful places and beautiful locations. And we are expanding. We now do business in New Hampshire, mostly in the seacoast. And we just added an agent that's further up in what they call the Upper Valley, uh, which is near uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, and Dartmouth College, up that way.
0: What do you think the opportunities are in your field over the next five years, let's say?
1: So you hit on one earlier, really. It could be development. You know, Maine does need more residential development. Um, There is plenty of land to develop. You know, Maine's in, in certain places has grown hostile to development, which is hard. Um, City town regulations make it very difficult for people to build homes, even developers to build homes, even speculative, certainly speculative builders to build homes and actually make a profit. And so, regulations, you know, it, 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 hopefully the, the the state and some of the cities and towns that have been very strict with regulations will start to loosen up, recognizing that no one's going to build there and no one's going to be able to live there unless we can afford to build there and people can afford to buy there. So the biggest opportunity, I hope, is is on the legislative side, local and state.
0: Have you seen any shifting in the Portland area as far as that's concerned? Because I know that um, new builds, is, there's just not a lot of that going yeah. on.
1: Yeah. So Portland, obviously, has been, been probably one of the more legislatively aggressive um, cities, certainly in Maine, but maybe even in the country. And, and there was just a conference, the uh, Mereda Conference, uh, which is the um, commercial real estate conference, big conference every year. And, and what came out of that, there were a lot of headlines that came out of that, but that Lewiston-Auburn, uh, which is, has struggled uh, for many years, particularly Lewiston, is doing really well. And that the city has grown very developer-friendly, much more business-friendly, and is now starting to pick up the people who weren't going to develop or thinking about developing in Portland And now they're looking at Lewiston as being a great place to um, help the community, but also make a profit.
0: You know, Portland, it seems like, is making some positive strides, but maybe not quite as many positive strides as other places.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Portland is is, um, increasing regulation and making it harder to develop. Oh, so the opposite of what I just said. yeah, Yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, it is. So, you know, rent control is making it hard for the, the property owners or a lot of people that, um, and then it just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cascade. I mean, rent control has been tried in many other places around the country. And and my understanding is it hasn't worked very well just about anywhere. Uh, but, and, and who knows, maybe it'll work, work better in Portland, but that, that remains to be seen. But there's a lot, of, just a lot of regulation. It's super hard. It takes a long time. It's expensive. Um, there's a lot more information. There's a lot more, uh, that the developers have to give to the community before they can get a permit to build, and 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 then the the neighborhoods by and large are hostile to development too. So, you know, it's it, while there's a demand for it, maybe even an unlimited demand or close to unlimited demand for people who want to live in Portland, it's hard to develop there.
0: Yeah, and I find that somewhat distressing. To be honest, I'm sure you probably do yeah, too. Yeah. But uh, because I think about all the large companies that have been able to create beautiful. Um, locations in Portland. I mean, I even, I even look at, look at the VA, you know, the veterans administration, yeah. they have a beautiful new location they in the do. middle of Portland, even has some parking, which is amazing. Not always the case in every VA. Um, but if you want to work at that VA and you can't afford to live in Portland, you know, you're commuting from somewhere else yeah. or any of the companies really. Yeah.
1: So, and commuting distance to Portland gotten very expensive for, for the, all the aforementioned reasons. We run out of space here. People start moving west. They move to Westbrook. Then they move to Gorham. Then they move to Standish. Then they move to Buxton. Then they, you know they keep going farther, farther afield, or up to Gray and New Gloucester, towards Auburn. Uh, you know, I know in in your field, the doctors uh, who are on call sometimes, particularly, want to be close to the hospitals. You know, so they don't usually want to be more than fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, in case they get called to an emergency. And and most of the hospitals are in areas that are pretty popular.
0: Yes, it's an interesting conundrum. It is. So I always wonder about this. If you have such disparate stakeholders, you know, you've got people who want development, people who don't want development, people who think about, you know, environmental impact, you know, all, all the other mm-hmm. considerations. How do, we, how do we get the stakeholders to a place where they can perhaps start understanding how to make concessions so that's it's going to be better for the ecosystem as a whole? Yeah,
1: I think you first have to stop it from continuing to go the other way. You know, where the stakeholders are getting more entrenched and farther apart. I don't think that that, that outward movement has actually stopped yet. Maybe once it stops, it, maybe we'll start to come back together. But you, it might take a crisis. Sometimes it does, right? I mean, if, if people, everybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, it's going to be okay today. This really doesn't force change. You know, it doesn't. And, and so far, I think everybody, most everybody in Maine still wakes up and says, you know, by and large, on average, it's going to be okay today. You know, we're going to get through the day. It's going to be okay, uh, and so there's. And then that raises all kinds of other issues and questions. But I do think the stakeholders are still moving farther apart. I haven't seen a lot of movement to bring that those stakeholders closer together, from my perspective. But you're right. That's where we need to. That's where we need yeah, to be. That's yeah, that's where we
0: need to be. And I do. And I don't have the sense that COVID has actually improved this
1: exacerbated it. Yeah, it has. Yeah, no question. Well, and it's forced this demand for living here on a state that wasn't ready or used to. You know, Maine's net in-migration was 0.05 percent for like a decade. And if you look at the numbers from, I think it was a North American van line showed the last two years Maine has had the largest percentage of net in-migration in migration Number one in 2021 20, and number two in 2022 of any state in the country. Right, So people are coming. Yeah. Know, and which, they're figuring it out somehow.
0: Which I think is great. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, I still, again, I come at it from a how do we help make sure that our, our communities stay healthy? Yeah. I mean, we currently my field, healthcare, not only can we not, we can't really get enough people to come here in the first place. Once we get here, there aren't enough places to put them Mm -hmm. to actually live so that they can work for our organization and other healthcare organizations. And then how do we help them to stay? I mean, I think this idea of how do we make sure that we have ongoing good healthcare, education, other community resources, for me, I just think it's such a critical issue right now that it is. I don't know if that's the crisis point when we stop being able to take care of people because we haven't addressed the need for when it puts a lot of
1: pressure on the healthcare system to potentially get into other businesses. If you buy a hotel in Bar Harbor, none of your employees for the summer can can afford to live there and there's and there's not a lot of, of housing for employees in that market. And that's just one example. There's every every city and town up and down the coast of Maine has it. There in, in particular, it's one that the um, hoteliers buy properties in and around over over time and they house all their own staff. Right, so they they're in the hotel business. They really didn't want to be, you know, in the landlord business in a meaningful way for seasonal staff. But that's what they have to do to get them housed and to run their business. And and maybe these other organizations and industries are going to have to do more of the same, be more creative, be more energetic about solving their own problems, as opposed to waiting for the the stakeholders to come together and solve them for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a considering the margin that healthcare is running. Right now I, I don't I don't know how we would afford <laughs> I, to have us get into more of I, that business.
1: I understand. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, we've now generated even more questions Another, yes. than I had before we started. <laughs> I, so that, that's yeah. okay. I yeah. mean I, I mean, That'll I, be our next show. That's yeah. right. We'll Another figure out all the problems show. of the world and then we'll, you know, move forward. But I mean I, I do enjoy having this conversation with you because I, I think um, I, I like hearing, we, we went from Maine being this sort of aging population, and we didn't actually have the resources to care for people because the aging population doesn't actually have you know the financial wherewithal to help care for themselves. But now we have people, when you bring them into the state, we can actually contribute to the tax base and contribute to the local economy, and maybe we can actually take care of people from Maine. So I, I like the kind of, it's kind of a, a good and a bad thing. Like mm-hmm. there are new people we are going to take care of, but the new people are coming in. Maybe they are helping us take care of the people who are already here.
1: There's no question. There's I just no don't. Know, I just there's don't no know question. how to make all the. Yeah. But it's also the where you know the building blocks. To your point, the resources is where are the people who need um, independent but, but helpful um, living situations, and then and then um, you know where they might need a nursing home or they might need um, memory care. Uh, and, and again, there's it's not they said there was it was Noah's Ark right there were there was kind of enough for everybody who needed it going back five years ago. And now there's been, you know, a lot of people who were going to move out of the state of Maine and said, you know, we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to somewhere warm, right? That's, that's what we hear a lot. And people were getting, particularly in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s, three, four years ago said, we're going to put our house in, in, in um, January of 2020. We're going to put our house on the market in the spring, right? March of 2020, COVID hits. So they didn't want people in their houses. They didn't want to go. They couldn't go elsewhere to look for a home. Uh, so they, and, and that went on for an extended period of time. And there are people who wanted to buy, but they couldn't come here. And they didn't want to go into people's homes that people lived in. And so we had this whole sort of uh, a lock on people. And, and many are still saying, so they were all saying, well, we're going to sell as soon as COVID's over. And I don't know if COVID's over yet or not, but, but it's, it's mostly over, it seems, for most people. And, and then over the last six or seven months, we've had mortgage rates go from 3% to as high as 7%. Now they're about six and a quarter. And so now if you sell, you pay off your 3% mortgage, you take a 6% mortgage, and and you lose about $300,000 worth of buying power. So you sell your home, you buy something $300,000 less, but your mortgage rate doesn't go down. And so now people are saying for that reason, So we have people that have been here three, four years who decide they were going to sell that still haven't put their house on the market. And that backlog is preventing that whole cycle of turnover, not just here, it's happening in other parts of the country as well.
0: So I guess I'm going to go back to what you said before, is that everything runs in cycles. Mm-hmm. So let's not panic. We have some new problems and some problems that we've probably dealt with before. But we'll get through this. We'll figure it out because everything runs in cycles. It'll be OK.
1: And Maine sometimes moves so slowly that we miss cycles altogether. Right. So right now, the main, I've been other places uh, in, in recently where the market is, you know, the real estate markets are softening. Uh, Inventory is building aggressively. Prices are going down, and now we're starting to get buyers coming here from those places, thinking that Maine's the same way, and it's not. You know, Maine prices haven't gone down. Our market's strong; it's stable, uh, which will create to to your cycle point. It will create opportunities for those people now to go elsewhere, right, and buy something of value for less than they could have during the pandemic, and that so that's that that break that we need to create opportunities for people to sell and get to where they wanted to get to three years ago. You know, Charleston, South Carolina, um, Naples, Florida, two very popular places for for Mainers to go. Savannah, Georgia, which I know you know. Yeah, and those beautiful places that that are nice in the the winter too. Uh, Not that Maine isn't. I love Maine in the winter.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how things evolve over time. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to check in with you and, you know, a year or so. Let's see where things go.
1: I think a year is about right. And I think we're going to wake up and say, boy, we did really great. Yeah. Yeah, we did really well. We weathered the storm. Things are getting more normal again. There's some infrastructure development. Um, those stakeholders have figured out a way to come together. Uh, we're seeing new development. And, and there are different, again, different areas that have been particularly thoughtful about trying to get more people and more development. And other, other places, as you know, we're happy where we are. We don't need to make any changes. And, and so that's all going to that's all gonna unwind and, and people are going to have to come together to figure out a way to make it all work.
0: All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as the gospel choice.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I've really enjoyed getting to, uh, I'm getting to have this time with you. I know you're a busy person, so spending time with you to learn more about what's been going on in your business. And well, great to see you. It's good to see you. I've been speaking with Chris Lynch, who is the owner of Legacy Properties Sotheby International here in Maine. And I encourage you to learn more about his organization. Uh, We actually have taken advantage of um, their services. They are wonderful brokers. And Chris is a wonderful individual. And I thank you for coming in.
1: Well, thank you for having me. We'll see you in a year.
0: Yeah, see you in a year. I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you have been listening to or watching Radio Maine.